Hey, well, good morning, church. I don't know why Chancellor felt it necessary to speak for me, but I can eat that many cookies. If you know me, do not let the frame deceive you. I will eat my weight in food. Chancellor eats like a sparrow. I've never, I don't know how he's alive. He eats off the kids' menu anytime we go out anywhere. I eat the family meal. So, anyway. Come join me as I stuff my face in cookies, and, and we're going to be out there. It's going to be a good time. Uh, but hey, as we get ready to continue in worship, we're going to turn our attention to God's Word. Uh, but before we go to our passage for today, and like Chancellor said, uh, we're going to be going through and continuing in our flannel graph series. Um, but before that, I want to just read some scripture, and this is honestly just something that the Lord has been speaking to me personally. I don't know uh, if you wrestle with this yourself, but one of the things that I struggle with is inadequacy. And so the feeling of not being good enough. And, and maybe that will manifest itself in a certain role that I've got in my life, or if you identify with that, a role in your life, if, if you're a spouse or if you've got kids, or in your job, or in a friendship. But I just wrestle with feelings of inadequacy. And, and that's been something that I've been walking through. And so this morning, man, that one stirred up big time. And so I was reading, and as we were worshiping, this is a passage that the Lord brought to my heart a few weeks ago with my rooted group as we were praying through our prayer experience. And so I want to read this, and then before we even get to our message for today. I'm just going to invite us and lead us into a time of prayer over this, and I pray that this would speak to you. Uh, perhaps it's just going to speak to me. Maybe that's all I need to do today because I know I need it. But as I thought about it, and I wrestle with feelings of just not being adequate, not being good enough. We were in that prayer experience with our rooted group uh, like four weeks ago. And as I was walking the campus and I was, I was having my time of prayer, and the Lord just had a very simple agenda, and he took me to Matthew 3. And Matthew 3 is where we find Jesus being baptized. And when Jesus comes out of the water after his baptism, the Father speaks these words over him, his son. And listen to what he says. A voice from heaven said, This is my son, whom I love, and with him I am well pleased. And so as a person who struggles with feelings of inadequacy, the notion that God would find pleasure in me, the notion that God would be proud of me or proud of you, and that he would love me and he would love you, is such a beautiful, refreshing breath for each of us. And I got to thinking about why would the Father have to say that about the Son? Like, I get it. It's one thing for the Father to be pleased in Jesus because He is perfect. But if you struggle with inadequacy, you are well aware of your imperfections. And I was sitting with that. And then the Lord just spoke to me. My prayer as we enter into just a moment of prayer ourselves is that the reason the Father is pleased with the Son is because of the Son's obedience. And though I am not completely obedient, though I am not perfect, though I am inadequate, it's my faith in the Son 
that finds the Father's pleasure. And so that's my, my prayer for you, is that just before we even get to God's Word this morning, that we're going to sit in a moment, and I'm just going to pray, and I'd ask that you join me. And if you need to hear that, that you would just sit and just be reassured that because of your faith in the Son, the Father is well-pleased with you too. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, thank you for your obedience. Thank you that as the object of my faith, as the object of our faith, that through that, Lord, we have your pleasure, Father. You are well pleased with us because of our faith in your Son. And so, Father, we thank you for that. It is unwarranted. It's unmerited. And we are certainly not adequate enough for it on our own. So we thank you for the gift of your Son. We thank you for the ability to have faith in him. Lord, I pray for your people. I pray for myself this morning that we would just sit in that, that we would sit in your presence. We'd sit in your good pleasure as we exercise and choose faith in you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Father, for your goodness. Thank you for your word, and we pray now as we turn into it, as we lean into it, that you would speak a fresh word to us. We sit in anticipation, Lord, and we pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. So trans, transport with me back to July of 2013. I don't know where you were in that month and that year, but I was sitting in Missouri. I was stationed in Missouri going to the uh, Army's engineer school there. And I was sitting there on that July morning, I don't know what particular day, but I got a phone call from my wife, Taylor, who was back here home in California. And I got the call and I stepped outside and I answered the call. And on that call, I discovered that we were going to have another child, which was a surprise to me because we had just had a child who was at that time four months old, now Carson, who's seven. And I remember sitting there receiving that phone call, not the news I was expecting, not the news I was hoping for. Don't tell Camden this. I love him. If you need to find him today, he's the child wearing a fox costume. I, I can't, I don't even, I don't even know. He, he smuggled it here in a backpack. And then he got dressed in kids' church as a fox. I don't know. Anyway, I get a phone call from Taylor, and she says, I'm pregnant. And I just start, like any good husband, just start busting up because it just fits how we live life. We didn't plan on the first one, didn't plan on the second one. And I remember thinking, okay, God, here we go. I'm about to, when I finish up this training, I'm going to come home back to California and I'm entering into a sweet season where I've got a part-time youth pastor job at a tiny little church called GGFC. I make the illustrious, boastful sum of $24,000 a year. I'm about to, where are my millennials at? I'm about to move my family of three, now four, into my in-law's spare bedroom because life is just on the fast track. And now I find I'm going to have yet another kid. And I'm sitting there on that July day in 2013, and I'm just like, God, seriously? Like, what's the, what's the plan here? 
this is not going according to my plan. Let's just be real. I love my little fox and the troop I got over there. But at the time, that was not my planning. And coming home, and I just remember thinking, man, this is not going well. Taylor, in fact, was going to have to quit her job. Luckily, she made more than the part-time youth pastor. And she was going to have to quit now to take care of our two children living in her parents' spare bedroom. And I remember thinking about that, encountering that, looking at that and just feeling like, you ever, if you ever watched that show Wipeout that used to be on ABC, where like just <laughs> obstacle after obstacle, and it's, it's really fun when you're on the couch watching this dude get crushed by these inflatable obstacles, and, but it's not so funny when you feel like that dude, and life is just beating you in the face with inflatables. And I remember sitting there feeling like, God, I don't know, what's, what are you doing here? I, I don't see a way, like, I don't see the way forward. I don't see the way around it. I don't see the way over it. I don't see the way through it. I don't see the way. And maybe you have been in that season. Maybe you are in that season where you feel like you've got this obstacle ahead of you and you don't know where you're going and you don't know what to do about it. And so this morning as we turn our attention to the text, we're going to look at Joshua chapter 6. So if you've got scripture, I encourage you, let's go there together. And here's my hope and my prayer for us this morning as we encounter and engage God in his word today. We're going to be looking at the story of God's people in, as they took the city of Jericho. Now, if you grew up in church or you're familiar with scripture, you probably know some of the basic generalities of this story. It is the story as we're going to come to read that God's people circle a city and they march around it for days and then with a loud shout the walls come crumbling down and God's people take the land. And yet in that, you know, we, we hear that story as children. Maybe you grew up in church and you heard it there. And yet now we're going to take a fresh look at it today for our lives. What do we learn from God's people in this text today, and how can it speak to us as, yes, you're, you're probably not worried about conquering fortified cities. I doubt that that's on your radar right now, but you have got some walls in your life too. You've got these things that, that, that just look insurmountable. And my prayer this morning is that we would be, because of Scripture, that we'd be oriented towards faith in Jesus, that He's doing something. All right, so let's look at that. Joshua chapter 6, and we pick it up in verse 1. And it says this, Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. Now march around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. And when you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up, everyone straight in. So Joshua, son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the ark of the covenant of the Lord and have seven priests carry trumpets in front of it. And he ordered the army, advance, march around the city, and with an armed guard going ahead of the ark of the Lord. When Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord went forward, blowing their trumpets, and the ark of the Lord's covenant followed them. The armed guard marched ahead of the priests 
who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard followed the ark. All this time the trumpets were sounding. But Joshua had commanded the army, Do not give a war cry. Do not raise your voices. Do not say a word until the day I tell you to shout. Then shout. So he had the ark of the Lord carried around the city, circling it once. Then the army returned to camp and spent the night there. Joshua got up early the next morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. The seven priests, carrying the seven trumpets, went forward, marching before the ark of the Lord and blowing the trumpets. The armed men went ahead of them, and the rear guard followed the ark of the Lord, while the trumpets kept sounding. So on the second day, they marched around the city once and returned to camp. They did this for six days. Now on the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except that on that day, they circled the city seven times. The seventh time around, when the priest sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the army, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. The city and all that is in it are to be devoted to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall be spared because she hid the spies we sent. So one of the things that we've got to understand about that at seemingly at times a very repetitive passage is that the book of Joshua is all about the conquest. It's a unique period in Israel's history. It comes after God has made promises to them that they are going to inherit this land. It's going to be a, a land flowing with milk and honey. It's going to be a great place. And God makes that promise. He gives it to them. And now the book of Joshua is about how they step into that promise and all that they do to get there. And just one of the things that you and I have to acknowledge as modern readers of the book of Joshua is that this, is, this can be a really difficult passage. And I don't know how VeggieTales tiptoes around issues like prostitutes and wiping out entire cities of people. Right? Like if Joshua were here today, he'd probably be on trial with the UN as a war criminal. And yet we read this in Scripture. And as modern readers, we have some tension there of like, ah, I don't know how I feel about this. And so before we get to the text, one of the things that you and I have to come to terms with when we read passages like this from Joshua is that until you and I really understand and grasp the holiness of God and His ability, His soul ability, to judge and punish sin, until we wrestle with that and understand that that's God, God's role alone, then these texts are going to continue to be troubling to us as modern readers, let's be honest. And yet this is where we find ourselves. Joshua and the army have now crossed, and really we use the word army kind of loosely because they're not really an army. Like a few years ago they were slaves. And now they've been wandering the desert, homeless nomads, for 40 years. And then they cross a river and all of a sudden they get called an army. But it's not quite a fitting word, so to speak. And they cross the river and the first step into claiming the promises that God has given them is they come to the city Jericho. And look at verse 2. They show up on scene. Step one of inheriting God's promises. They've been waiting decades for this moment. God's given them this land. They step across in a really cool way. They, they cross the Jordan. Now they're ready. And like, God, what promises are you going to fulfill today? And then day one, God takes them to the city. 
And look at verse 2. Look at, sometimes I think the Lord has an amazing sense of humor. He takes Joshua up to the city. Then the Lord said to Joshua, you see, I've delivered the city to you. Now, if I'm Joshua, I'm asking the question, why are there still walls? Why are there still armies on top of those walls? And this group of ragtag people that you call an army, we're still outside the walls. And then God says, you see, Joshua, check it out. I've delivered the city to you. And then we wrestle with that because sometimes that's where God takes us in our lives. God gives us an amazing set of promises in His Scripture. I mean, these are promises that, like, if we fully understood the reality of what was given to us in His Word, man, we, our minds would be blown by this. And He gives us these promises, and yet sometimes it feels like He gives us those, and then we're parked outside the city wall. And God starts using past tense language to describe what we don't already have. And God says, you see, I've delivered this promise to you. And it doesn't feel like he's quite delivered it yet. And then we look at Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 30. Listen to the way that God's people remember the story. Hebrews eleven thirty. 30, it says, By faith the walls of Jericho fell. By faith the walls of Jericho fell. And so, church, here's the, the invitation that, I'm, that I believe Scripture is putting out to each of us this morning. I know that I'm not alone in this, that you've got walls yourself. Again, you're not conquering fortified cities. I got it. But you've got these walls that feel insurmountable in your life. And, and maybe for you, it's marriage. Maybe your marriage is splitting apart. And you find day after day distance setting into your marriage. In the last two weeks, Seven marriages in our church have come to Taylor and I and said we are struggling like we've never struggled before. And then we read articles talking about the quarantine season. Do you want to take a guess at how divorce rates are doing this year? They're beating the national average. And we set a pretty high bar in America for divorce. So maybe you are in that. Maybe that's your marriage. And you feel that distance, and it feels insurmountable. God, I don't know how you're going to start to reconcile, how you're going to start to pull together this thing that seems to be splitting. Or maybe for you, you're like many of us Americans, and you're swimming in a pool of debt. And you don't know how you're going to get out of that. And you don't even feel like there is a way out of that. Or maybe you wrestle with addiction and that's a wall that you have never been able to scale before. No matter how many times you're circling that city and you feel that addiction taking hold and you begin to feel hopeless in that. Like, God, there's no way I'm going to get over this or through this or around this. It's always going to be a part of me. It's always going to be a struggle that I have. Or maybe, you're, maybe you have children. Maybe you're an adult and your kids are now adults and you're watching your kids take a path, taking them away from Jesus. And you're sitting there saying, Lord, this is not the plan. This was not my plan. I see them walking away. 
But we've got these walls in our lives. We've got these insurmountable things. And maybe it's not one of those four. Maybe for you it's something completely off script. And you're sitting with that. And then we come to passages like this where God says, I have promises for your life. And yet he starts to use past tense language to describe things which you haven't seen happen yet. And then we read scriptures like Hebrews 11.1. Faith is the hope of what's not seen. It's the assurance of what we do not see. Faith is the assurance of what you don't see. And that sounds like nonsense to people who don't know Jesus. To have assurance in something that you cannot see and maybe you have no empirical evidence to warrant such a belief. Everything about this marriage, everything about this relationship says that it's done. Everything about my finances says that I'm never going to be free of this again. Everything about who I know myself to be and how I know myself to act says I'm always going to be an addict. And everything I see in my children's lives and decisions says that they're never coming back to where I want them to be. We have these walls, these insurmountable things, and we look to Jesus and we say, I want to have the kind of faith that has assurance in what I don't see. And for me and Taylor in this season, in particular this year, the thing that we're struggling with is I don't know how I'm going to raise my kids to know Jesus, to love Jesus, and to follow Jesus in the midst of a really jacked up culture. Like, I don't, I don't know how to do it. It seems that the odds are stacked against us as parents who want to raise our kids to follow Jesus. It seems like everything is pulling against that. And yet I cling to the promises of Scripture that God is pursuing my children, that He's, that he's running after them, that he, that he wants them to be raised up in righteousness. And then I look around and I feel like, God, I don't, I don't see how this is going to happen, to be honest. And it seems like every year I struggle with this even more and more. My kids are only seven, six, and two. So I'm at the beginning of the journey. And I'm like, God, I don't see how this is going to happen. How do I have assurance in something like that when everything I see, when I think about 2 Corinthians chapter 4, everything I see points to the opposite. It says that the odds are against me. It says that the odds are against my marriage. It says that the odds are against my children and against my freedom. The odds seem to be against it. And then Scripture keeps speaking. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. And if you and I, church, are going to be people who really have faith, faith that gives us the assurance of things that you can't see, we have to keep fixing our eyes on those things which we can't see. And that's extremely difficult because if you're like me, I focus all the time on things I can see. And those things depress the crap out of me in our culture and in our world. Because what I can see discourages me. What I can see seems to be hopeless. And yet then God invites me and he invites you to say, have the kind of faith 
that is assured of my promises when you can't see them. Right in the midst, when you're standing outside the walls, that you would have the faith, the assurance that God's promises will come to fruition. And so if we're going to have that, if, then you have to choose to have a, a faith perspective on whatever it is that you're walking through. Because you're either going to have a faith perspective or you're going to have a fear perspective. When it comes to those things, it's going to be one or the other. And to be honest, a lot of my days, I choose the fear perspective. And I start spiraling in that. And if, if you've ever been on that ride before, it just feels like it just keeps turning and turning and turning and turning and turning and turning. And you're like, man, I really want to get off this ride right now. Because when I choose a fear perspective, I can't have the faith perspective that Scripture is calling me to. Because before Israel got to Joshua 6, they were at Numbers 13. This is the first time they were at bat to step into the promise that God gave them. And in Numbers 13, they see, they come to the land, and they send out the spies. And the text tells us that the spies go throughout the land, and just like God said, it's a land flowing with milk and honey. Just like God said, it is a good land. I mean, check it out. These guys go through and they, I'm not a farmer, I don't do vineyards, but I'm assuming that if you cut off a branch with so many grapes that two dudes and a pole have to carry it, like, that sounds like a good harvest to me. And these guys are bringing back the fruit, right? They've, they're holding the, I don't know, make it a spiritual metaphor. They're holding the grapes of God's promises as they come back to God's people and they're eating them saying, man, God's right. That is a great land. Man, that thing that God promised me in Scripture, it is good. Verse 31, But the men who had gone up with him said, We can't attack these people because they're stronger than us. So yeah, God, I know you're not a liar. I, I, that is a sweet land. The grapes are amazing. The promises are there, and they're good, and I've seen them, and yet I've also seen other things too. I see big people, and I see walls, and I see real armies, and we can't do this. But not just we can't do this. Really what we're saying when we say that is, God, you can't do this. That's how God sees it, because then in Numbers 14, verse 11, when they say, no, 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 we can't do this, God, listen to how God responds. He says, the Lord said to Moses, how long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me in spite of all the signs I've performed for them? And church, that's what happens when you and I, when we face those things and we choose, instead of a faith perspective, we choose a fear perspective. It's not, that, it's not that we don't believe that it can happen or that we don't think it's real. We just really don't think God can do what he says he's going to do. And God says, man, how long are you going to live your life choosing a fear perspective that says, I can't do what I tell you I'm going to do? How long are you going to choose that? How long are you going to live in that when you could be choosing a faith perspective? Now, when we talk about faith being the, like the assurance of things you can't see, like, this is not just wishful thinking. Faith is not just, man, I hope so. We watched this 
atrocious, I'm sorry, babe, it was atrocious, a horrible Disney movie last night called Halloween Town. I don't, I don't know. We have, a lot to, we have a lot to repent of from the 90s as a culture. And some of these family Disney movies are just, good Lord, they're horrible. But we watched Halloween Town last night. Not my choice. And the grandma or whatever is talking to her granddaughter, and the granddaughter's like, what's magic? I was like, oh, this ought to be good. And the grandma says, magic is wanting something so badly that you make it happen. I was like, oh, thanks, grandma. And that's how some of us treat faith. We don't quite understand it. We treat our faith like it's the Christian Halloween town. Like, man, if I just want this super bad, then I can just make it happen or it's going to happen somehow. And church, that's not, that's not faith. That's grandma's recipe for Disney magic. If I want it bad enough, I can make it happen. But Scripture points you and I as God's people to something completely different, that faith is trusting in God to do what He says before He's done it. And to be honest, it's a lot easier to sell grandma's magic recipe because that gives you and I all the control. If I want it, I'm going to will it so badly it's going to make it happen. And then faith says, no, just believe me when I say I'm going to do it. But by the way, I haven't shown you maybe any reason to think it's going to happen. That's the biblical view of faith. That's a faith perspective. And so church, I don't know again what what the wall is that you're looking at, that obstacle that's before you, but my first encouragement to you this week is that you would seek out the promises of God for that in your life. So if it is your marriage, I want you to think about the promises of God when he says that what God has brought together, let no man separate. That if God has brought your marriage together, if you have put Christ in the center of it, then he's going to hold it together. Even in this season where for many people, they're just falling apart. That God's promise, his desire is that with him in the midst, that the two would remain one. Or for your finances, if you're swimming in debt and you don't see a way forward, that you would trust and believe that God's desire for you is that you'd be freed from that so that you can be free to be generous towards others. And that if you struggle with addiction, that you would start with the promise of that you're no longer a slave to sin that Christ has set you free from that, and now you're free to obey Him, that there's real, genuine freedom from the addiction that you face. Or for your children, if they're going off the rails right now, we look to Luke 15, where we find out that when children, ourselves included, when we wander, we worship a God who pursues And that we would just sit in that and have faith that, God, these people I love are wandering from you, and yet I'm going to have the faith and believe that you're a God who pursues even when they wander and even when we run. But church, you need to know the promises that you have. Because you can't have a faith perspective if you don't know the promises that your faith is built upon. And so I pray that you'd be encouraged to seek that out. And that as you choose faith over fear, I also pray that you'd be people who choose the right things to engage it with. And our culture will give you all sorts of tools and equipment to solve your problems. Some of them helpful, some of them trash. 
And you and I have got to know the difference. But first and foremost, we've got to know the right thing that you've got to be equipped with. And so as we close, let's go to Ephesians chapter 6. Again, we went through this uh, in Rooted a few, what, a week or two ago. Your marriage is not just a relationship. Your finances are not just money. Your children are not just relationships and people. Addictions are not just your choices. That as people, as God's people, we realize that there's a spiritual element to everything in our lives. And if we want to understand that and to, to see that, if we want to see God move in that, we have to acknowledge the spiritual reality of that. So look at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. Listen to the way Paul describes it. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Your marriage is not just about that person. Your kids are not just about your relationship. Your money is not just about what you have. And your addiction is not just about your choices. So sometimes we approach these things with a limping faith and no tools. And so here in verse 18, we leave with the second challenge that I pray you would grasp onto this week. Where Paul says, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for the Lord's people. Church, if you've got these things, not, not if, you've got these things. And so many of us not only come at it with a limp and weak faith, but then we don't even pray about it at all. Can we be real? If God responded in our lives the degree to which we prayed for things, I have a feeling a lot of us wouldn't have nearly as much as God has chosen to provide, myself included. I don't pray nearly powerfully enough. I'm worried about my kids. I'm worried about how I'm going to raise them in this environment to know Jesus and follow Jesus and love Jesus. And I don't nearly pray enough for them that God would do that which I'm clinging to in faith. So church, I pray that you would just take that invitation. And I know like if you're looking for like nuggets of just mind-blowing wisdom this week, like this ain't it. But that you would choose faith and that you would follow that faith up with prayer. And I'm not selling you grandma's magic recipe either. That's easy. But I'm selling you this morning, I'm proposing to you the grit of faith that prays day in and day out. And I would, I would hate to be the person that quit on day six of Jericho's march. And maybe you're on day six and you're like, I don't know when this crazy train's going to end. But I pray that you would keep praying, that you would keep pursuing, that you would cling to faith, that you would cling to the faith and the promises of God even if you find yourself still outside the walls. And that you would believe Jesus when he says in John 16, 33, take heart. In this life, you will have trouble. But what? I have overcome the world. That you and I worship a God who's already overcome. That's why he speaks in past tense. Do you catch that? I've overcome the world. Before he went to the cross, he said it. Our faith speaks in past tense, even when we're still clinging to the promises. So I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. 
And church, I pray this week that you would take that invitation, that you would choose a faith perspective over a fear perspective, and that you would pursue that in meaningful prayer to see God do what seems like the impossible. Would you pray with me?